Shalom, Chavre. So I want to start by thanking Chazak and Torah anytime for putting together this year. And today's year, I want to delve into some incredibly deep ideas relating to Ma'an Torah and Shavuos. But I want to start with a well-known story. A well-known story of three blind men who are holding on to an animal. And they want to determine what this animal is. So they're all holding on to it, and they're holding on to different parts of it. One man says, this feels like a snake. Another man says, this feels like, feels like the trunk of a tree. And another person says, this feels like a rope. Now, what, what animal were they holding on to? They're holding on to an elephant. And the man who thought that it was a snake was holding on to the trunk. The man who thought that it was the trunk of a tree, he was holding on to one of the legs of the elephant. And the man who thought it was a rope was holding on to the tail. They're all holding on to different parts of this elephant. They're all holding on to different perspectives of a single elephant. What I want to do is I want to delve into this idea of, of truth, the truth of Torah. Because I would say one of the most common questions I get, especially when I give a shir, let's say I like to give shir my medical ethics, medical halacha, moral dilemmas. So let's say we give a shir. Could be abortion, could be organ donation, could be triage, it could be end of life issues, brain death, whatever the sugi is. Whenever we start with the sugi, we look at the psukim the Torah. Then we go through Chazal, we go through how the, all the different Gemars and Shas relate to this topic, go through the Rishonim and the Achronim, and we build a spectrum of perspectives. And let's say we have, you know, the Ramban on one side, then we have the Rambam, then we have the Ritav and Rashba, then we have Tosos and Rashi, then you have different formulations, and you get a whole spectrum of the Sugyan Shas. And then you take it through the Shulchan Arach, and you see how the post can approach it, and you have a whole bunch of different approaches to any topic any topic in halacha. And what's the most common question I get? So what do we hold? <laughs> what's the answer? That's the most common question that I get when it comes to anything in life. What's the answer? What's the truth? What's the halacha? How do we pass him? What's our approach? What's the Jewish approach? And what's the answer to that? Depends. There's so many different approaches, so many different answers. Depends who you hold like. You have to ask your of it. It's complicated. But where does this stem from, this, this multiplicity of truths where there's no single approach to anything? I mean, so many people, the reason why they're so confused by halacha is because how can it be that there's so many options to everything? How can it be that there's machlokas on everything? Where does this stem from? So it's actually very interesting where it stems from. It seems to be, it stems from Mantor itself. And there's a famous ritva, the ritva actually talks on Ervin, on Yagimel and Beis, he says, that when Moshe went to accept the Torah, when he went to accept the Torah, he's actually passing, he, the Ritva is darshning on the concept of Elu Ve'ilu Divelechim Chaim, which we're going to ask in a couple minutes what this means. But he says that Moshe received 49 approaches to why everything is mutter and 49 approaches to why everything is aser. And this concept of this multiplicity, this range of approaches, you know, 49 and 49, that's a lot. It's 98, but... What's this concept of so many perspectives to everything? And to take a step further, there are so many, um, there's, there's a lot of different sources in Chazal and a, a lot more in the, the Rishon Nachronim that delve into the multiplicity of perspectives and experiences that Klai Yisrael had by Ma'an Torah. So a lot of approaches talk about how every single member of Klai Yisrael had their own unique experience, their personal experience of Montour. So it was the objective Montour experience, which everyone had, and then everyone also had this unique lens through which they experienced Montour. 
And the Yamshel Shlomo in his Akdama Tzababakama says how everyone approached and experienced Mount Torah through their own unique prism. And the question was, what does that mean? And, and the Shlomo Kadosh says that every one of us were at Mount Torah. Every Neshama of Klai Yisrael was at Mount Torah, which means that you also experienced your unique lens, your unique perspective of Torah. But how can that be? Isn't there one Torah? Isn't there one truth? How can there be so many different perspectives on everything? And how can they all be true? So that's the question which we want to delve into. And this this whole topic really, I guess, the, the question is how can it, there philosophically be multiple truths? Because if you think about the nature of truth, most people think that the truth is something. Something is true, everything else is false. But once you have multiple truths, how do you determine what's true and what's not true? What's true and what's false? Like how do we even approach the concept of MS? And this concept actually appears to be in Chazal itself. If you look at the, the Gemara in Sanhedrin in Lamed Dalad Amin Aleph, the Gemara is darshaning on a Pasuk in Yirmiya, where it, it says that just like a hammer splinters into many sparks, so to a single Pasuk is, so to speak, splintered into many different meanings, many different approaches, many different layers. And the question is, how are we supposed to relate to the concept of MS when it seems to be such uh, an abstract, fractured multiplicity uh, of, of truths? Meaning, if, we're n- if there's no such thing as a single truth, but it's, it's shattered, it's scattered, there are pieces, there are parts, number one, what does that mean? But number two is, how are we supposed to relate to the concept of truth? It, it, it makes it very hard to approach truth. Now what I want to do is I want to approach it from the, the concept of Eilu Eilu Divri Elu Kim Chaim. There's this famous concept that appears many times in Shas that Eilu Eilu, all these different approaches that the different Tanami Amorim are discussing in the Gemara, Eilu Eilu Divri Elu Kim Chaim. But all of these, or let's make it more simple, let's say you have two approaches, both of these are, so to speak, if you want to literally translate it, these are the words of the living Elohim, living at expression of Akash Baruch And it actually comes up when it comes to the machlokas between Beisham and Beis Hillel. And it, the Gemara says, if you look at Erevin Yagimel and Beis, it says, So it's, it gets even more complicated. That both of these are true, so to speak, but the halacha is like basil. So the question is, number one, what does it mean that both are true? How can they both be true? And if you're going to tell me both are true, then how can we're basking one way over the other way? And to add another layer to the question, why specifically basil? So we'll try to come back to why basil afterwards, but the question should really strike you. Like, what is going on with the Jewish approach to truth? The Jewish approach to halacha? The Jewish approach to learning Torah? How can so many different approaches all be true? So that's the question. So what I want to do first is I want to delve into the concept of Elu Velu Divrei Kim Chaim. How do we approach this concept itself? So there, there are a range of approaches to this concept. So if you look at the Chida, the Chida says that what it really means is that there's one truth. There's, there's one actual truth, and... All the other views, all the other dissenting views, they help us arrive at that truth. So it's Hegelian in a sense, as in like you have a thesis, then you have an antithesis, then you have a, a synthesis, so to speak, where you had one approach, then that other approach questioned that approach, so you clarified the first approach and said, oh, but it really means this, and you ultimately get 
to the right answer. But it's not that every perspective is true. It's that this is all part of the process of Talmud Torah. The Gemara says that you can only really attain understanding by first making mistakes. The Gemara says that in, in Precious sure and Gittin. So the, the meaning of this is that in order to get to the truth, you need to get through a lot of false approaches, and therefore they all become part of the process of truth because they lead you towards that single true answer. So that's a practical understanding of is that it's not that they're all true. There's one truth, but we need to get to that truth. And then we also have, uh, the Nesiva says this in his Akdama, he actually really harps on this concept of which he's quoting, actually he's quoting this Gemara in Gittin, it's on Daf Mem Gimel Amen Aleph in Gittin, where he says that the, you really need to get through the wrong answers to get the right answer, and therefore, ilu ve'ilu divri So that's, that's our first approach, is that there's one truth, but you need to get through a bunch of wrong answers, and you need to make mistakes until you can get to that real one true answer. Now, the Ritva, which is what we just quoted earlier, he seems to say, no, that there are many different approaches. He's once again darshaning on, he, he's talking about this concept of Elu Ve'elu Divri Chaim, and on that Gemara he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai 49 different approaches to everything being Mantar, 49 different approaches to everything being Aser, and Chazal are continuing that concept of engaging in Machlokas where there's multiple truths. So the Chida actually says this as well. He says that th- there are multiple different approaches to every sugya. So, so far we have two answers. One is that there's one answer to every sugya, every question, every halacha, and all the other approaches just help you get to that one answer. The second answer is that there are many answers to every question, every halacha, every sugya and shas, and it's not about one being right, one being wrong. They're all, so to speak, right, and the question is, are, is one more right than the other? Um, how do you know if something isn't right? How do you know if something isn't in the spectrum of that multiplicity of truths, that plurality of truths? But but those are the two more simple answers. But then we have a third answer, which is actually based on that ritva. If you look at the end of that ritva, he says, So he says there's, there's a deeper, more secretive spiritual concept at the root of the multiplicity of truths. And a lot of the, the Bali Machshava talk about what this is referring to is that there's not a multiplicity of truths. There's a oneness of truth. And in the realm of our world, that oneness of truth is, so to speak, shattered into a multiplicity of truths. So remember we talked about the rock shattering, how the Gemara Darshan's that that single Pasuk shatters, so to speak, into multiple meanings? Because we're going to delve into this concept in a moment. The truth, the MS, is, is a oneness. It's not one, it's oneness. It contains all the different pieces of truth in a harmonious oneness. But in our world of multiplicity, our physical world, a world of seichel, of, of limited seichel, that holistic oneness truth is broken down into pieces. And you have all these different perspectives, but they're not one's right, one's wrong, or one's you know, they're all right, so to speak, is that they're all pieces of a higher, more holistic truth. And MS itself is the synthesized, integrated oneness of those different pieces of truths. And I, I, I'm, before we move further, 
I'm just going to give you a little bit of a paradoxical riddle, which is one of my favorite riddles of all time, which is that within this sugi of Ilu Divilkim Chayim, we have multiple perspectives, right? So we have uh, all the other answers help bring out the one answer, or we have, no, there's really a multiplicity of truths, or it's, you know, that you can even say that there's another approach we can, which you can say, which is that well, there's really only one answer, but we don't know which one's the right answer, so you have to act as if they're all the right answer. And then we have this kind of multiplicity of truths, then we have the fact that different aspects of all these multiplicity of truth add up and synthesize and harmonize into the oneness of truth, which you know, we're going to argue is the deeper approach to Elu Ve'elu Chaim. So now the question is, which one's right? <laughs> which one of these approaches to Elu Ve'elu Chaim is the correct answer, is the correct approach? So if we're going to say that Elu Ve'elu Chaim applies to the sugya of Elu Ve'elu Chaim, so if that's true, then what's the what's the right one? What's the answer? How do we how do we approach that? And if we don't apply the Chaim to the sugya Chaim, then are we limiting Chaim? Meaning, if it doesn't apply to Chaim, what else doesn't apply? Like, how do we know when it doesn't doesn't apply? And if we say Chaim, then we end up living in this paradox where it's like. So, so which one though? Like how we actually approach anything in, in trust, anything in halacha, anything in life. So what's the answer? The answer is... <laughs> so I know that some of you are going to be a little confused and those of you who caught into the logic will be like, okay, this is really bending my mind. But the point is that it should bend your mind. That, and, and if I wanted to, we can go continue this direction go deeper into the paradoxical elements of how each of these approaches actually could be integrated into any of the even the deeper approach of which is that all of these pieces build up into a oneness you can actually retain all of the other approaches within that as well but we're not going to go in that direction right now we're going to go weiter and move a little forward so here's the question the question is what does this mean this deeper approach of a oneness of truth where all of the pieces are part of a oneness. So I want you to think about the, the nature of truth. Most people think that it's something that is true when it's not false. So there's one truth and there's one false. But think of it like this. Let's say a, a boy comes in to his father and says, my friend just kicked me. He kicked me and I'm bleeding. Can you please get him in trouble? And the father looks at his son's friend and says, you kicked my son? He says, yeah, it's because he punched me in the face. So the other father looks at his son and says, you punched him in the face? Yeah, that's because you threw me down the stairs. You threw him down the stairs. Why threw him down the stairs? Because he was calling me names for no reason. So which one of those kids were lying and which one were telling the truth? The answer is they were both lying and they were both telling the truth because they were both telling parts of the truth. But truth is not a single statement or a single truism. It's the collection of all the different aspects and pieces of truth into the full story, the full picture. People who are holding on to the elephant, they all had a, a one angle, one perspective of the, of the 3D figure of the elephant. It's like when you look at a sculpture, you can look at it from different perspectives. You have to have the full 3D perspective to really appreciate the sculpture. And it's the same thing with the truth. When you're living within the realm of oneness, you see all the aspects of the truth in this holistic, synthesized manner. But when you look at it from a, a multiplicity perspective, all you see is pieces and parts. So you have to put all the pieces together. And we're not just 
break down, no pun intended, this concept of oneness so we can really delve into it a little deeper. When we refer to the concept of oneness, we're referring to the root of reality. So we live in a world of multiplicity where there's pieces and parts, where there's you know moments in time here and now. I can see, you can see me, but you, you can't see essence. You can't see the root. You can't see spiritual, holistic oneness. So you can't see my thoughts. You can't see my mind. You can't see my consciousness. You can't see uh, spiritual truths. You can't even see ideas. You can't see Hashem. Because those things reside within a realm of higher levels of transcendence, higher levels of spirituality. And Hashem himself is in the realm of complete root oneness, beyond any pieces or parts, beyond the physical world. How do you relate to the concept of oneness? Well, think about electricity. Electricity is absolutely the same, but there are different expressions of that same root potential in all your different mechanical machines. So for example, when electricity goes through a refrigerator, it's very different than when it goes through a microwave, or when it goes through a toaster, when it goes through um, an appliance, a phone, a computer. These are all different expressions of the potentiality of electricity. And think about your neshama. Your neshama is you. You are a consciousness, a, a, a spiritual essence. When you say I, you're referring to yourself, your neshama. You don't really have a neshama, you are a neshama. That's a whole different topic. But think of it like this. How does, do you have a different neshama for your sense of smell than your sense of taste and your sense of sight, your sense of hearing, your sense of touch? No, you, you have one neshama, but when it gets applied through the different potentialities, different senses, it gets expressed in those same unique ways. Just like the refrigerator and the microwave and the toaster and the phone and the computer are different expressions of electricity where it gets manifest and experienced, that same thing applies to you. The realm of oneness gets applied to multiplicity. So your oneness self then gets filtered through the stream of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch. And then you can lift your limbs up and you have all these different manifestations of a single oneness. And it's the same concept for the idea of Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is the realm of absolute oneness. Elohim is Baruch who manifests into the world of multiplicity. So the Kuzri, and the Rehuda Halevi and Sefer Kuzri, if you look in Mimer Dalit Oschav Hey, he says, what does that mean? It means that Yudke Vavke is where the realm of opposites harmonize into oneness. It's the root of reality. So it's getting into a whole other concept of that. The world is not the makom of Hashem. Hashem isn't in this world. The world is within Him. Hashem is the makom of reality. Reality exists within a Baruch Hu, which is, we've talked about this before, it's a whole fascinatingly incredible topic. But it's the concept of oneness that then contains and expresses two-ness, and that two-ness is rooted in that original oneness. And if you want to see this beautifully manifest within Ma'an Torah, if you look at the Pesukim, the Pesukim say that they saw sounds. So what does that mean, they saw sounds? You can't see sounds. But when you see sounds, what does that mean? Sight. Seeing. Everything happens at once. Ru'iya. Oh, and this is a whole topic. We're not going to go deep into it. But seeing happens all at once. You see a picture. Everything's at once. Hearing is multiplicity. Parts, pieces. You have to hear one word after another, after another, after another. And then you recreate from that multiplicity. You recreate the picture. Seeing represents Olam Haba, represents a static, you exist as you are. 
Nolamhapa, you experience the essence, the being that you created during your life. You get to experience the ecstasy of everything you earned, everything you built and developed during your life in this world. But Olam Hazad, this world is a place of becoming. It's a place of hearing where you have to put the pieces together. You know, build your way to perfection. Every single moment is another step. Every single sound is another word, you know, so to speak. When you're hearing, you put together one word after another word after another word. This world is building, it's creating. That's why by Ma'an Torah, it was an experience of Om Haba, it was an experience of destination, it was an experience that Kosh revealed himself to the world. It was a deep experiential knowledge of a Baruch Hu. Chazal referred to it as a married or a Kleishwa married a Baruch Hu. That was a, a momentary transition where we experienced Om Haba in the truest way in this world, where seeing and hearing became one. Where Olam Hazan Olam Haba became one, we saw sounds, which means that the concept of process, the concept of destination, seeing and hearing Olam Hazan Olam Haba became one. It's just unbelievably powerful. We can actually go much deeper into this. We can talk about how this connects to the sphere. So Omer, this connects to Shabbos, so many other powerful themes here. But the concept is the relationship between oneness and twoness, physical and spiritual, static and becoming, and how. We're really trying to understand how Eliv Elidivlikim Chayim is this concept within the realm of Tunis, all the pieces come together to create the oneness of truth. How real MS is not one single statement, but it's the integrations and synthesization of all the multiple aspects and the plurality of truth, which is the concept of Eliv Elidivlikim Chayim. And another way of thinking of it is almost like a coin. You look at a coin and you say, oh, it's heads. No, 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 there's, there's tails, tails. But no, it's not heads or tails, it's a coin. And it has two different aspects within it. That's the concept. Truth isn't A or B. It's not even A and B. It's beyond A or B. And A and B are aspects of the whole truth. And the Maharal talks about this. This is a whole incredible topic. How there were two stages of history. The first stage of history was could so speak, the stage of Torah Shabbat which is when truth was clear. And once Torah Shabbat began, once we transitioned, miracles ended, prophecy ended, we went to a realm of Torah Shabbat so to speak, the second stage of history, a stage of relative darkness, of hearing in the darkness, you can't see, remember we talked about Re'iyah versus Shmi'ah, seeing versus hearing. This second stage of history became a realm where we had to recreate that clarity, that original clarity. And that's where Machlokas begins. The Maral talks about how, if you look at the mission of Avos, it starts off with you know, just a single person saying over ideas, saying over their, the, the, the Mesora of, of Klai Yisrael's, you know, we're not going to get into what the mission of us is trying to teach over, but let's, let's refer to the concept, the moral truths and the, the, the concept of, uh, of really the, the Mesora of that ethical tradition. So originally there was one person saying over those truths, and then eventually it becomes Machlokas. So the Maharal says that was the transition to Machlokas. Before then, there wasn't Machlokas. Machlokas wasn't something, if you look, there's no Machlokas in the Torah. There's not really Machlokas in Nach. But Machlokas begins in the age of Torah Shemalpeh. And within that, that age of Machlokas begins this journey of recreating the original clarity, the original holistic truth by putting all the pieces together. And originally, one person can carry that truth, but now we have to have multiple people arguing, so to speak, and bringing their perspective of the truth in order to create that holistic truth. 
and and that's really the idea that we live in in a, in a realm of time a realm of history where we are engaging and actively engaging in the process of recreating clarity recreating that holistic truth and elu elu is the concept that no single perspective contains the whole truth anymore we need to put all those perspectives together to recreate that original clarity and i'll show you a beautiful pasuk the the pasuk and tail in the parak pay um pay hey pasuk yube says ms me eretz titzmach that ms will sprout will grow from eretz so what does this mean so most people think of Eretz and Shemayim as the land and the heaven. So they think that, you know, Eretz, we live in, in, the, in this world, and, and Shemayim is the heavens. But, but Eretz and Shemayim is something much deeper. Shemayim is Shamim, theirs, its destination. Shemayim represents the spiritual endpoint. It's the purpose. It's where things are going. That's why it has the same root as Nishama, which is the, the spiritual essence, that root. It's that root of shame of inner essence. Shame re- reflects your the inner essence of something. That's why something's name represents its truth, represents what it is. Shemayim is the destination. Aretz comes from that root of rats, to run, because the destination is where we're going to, and this world is where we go. To, we run towards that destination. And I'll give you just a beautiful, uh, you know, think of the difference between uh, standing, walking, running, sitting down, and lying down. So, we live in the world where ruts, where we live in the Eretz. We live in the place where we're running towards the nation, towards Shemayim. Halacha teaches us how to walk in this world, what direction to go into. And the Ramchal talks about this in Masil Sharm that Zahiris comes before Zrizas. First, you have to be careful where are you going? What direction are you going in? Then Zrizas. Then you can run in that direction and go. So before you aim the arrow, that's Zahiris, and then you shoot. That's Zrizas. So halacha is, what direction am I going in? Once you know what direction, then Ritzah, Eretz, you run. You spend your whole life becoming the greatest version of yourself and maximizing your potential, becoming the person you were destined to become. Amida, every day, we take three times, at least three times a day, to Amida, we pause that process. We, we stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and and we say, okay, where am I going? We recalibrate. We, you know, go back into ourselves and say, who am I? Why am I? What do I want in life? Where am I going in life? Akash Baruch Hu, let me connect to you. Let me want the right things. Let me achieve the right things in life. And yeshiva is we bend our knees. You know, we sit down. It's, it's a pausing of the process of becoming. And it's entering into the state of doing something for the sake of doing it. Doing it lishma. Not for the sake of going somewhere, but for the sake of learning for the sake of learning. That's why we call it yeshiva. Because yeshiva is a realm where, and we're not going to get into the whole machlokas, whether Torah Lishma is supposed to be separate from actually, you know, being engaging in life and applying it. Because Miri says the reason why Osek Mitzvah, Patron Mitzvah doesn't apply to Talmud Torah, because the purpose of Talmud Torah is to live, it is to achieve, it is to enact in your life. So if you use the concept of limud, of Talmud Torah to get you out of doing mitzvahs that defeats the entire purpose. So we're not going to really get into that. But the concept of yeshiva is, is a conceptually pausing an aspect of the process of life in order to re-engage in the inner aspects of life. So once you enter into the state of yeshiva, you're then able to re-engage and achieve your mission life in the most empowering way. For some people, that's going to be to remain in Yeshiva. For some people, it's going to be to enter. We're not going to get into that Malchukas right now because that needs literally a whole series. Not even a Yeshiva can do it justice. 
but lying down at night is completely giving up the journey itself. Because what happens when you lie down at night? You're literally saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am giving up everything, giving up my consciousness. I am entering into a state where, you know, in the morning we say, Lo because we literally died. It's, it's giving up everything, and it's the ultimate negation of ego. It's the ultimate way of saying, Kosh Baruch Hu, like, I'm only here in this world because you constantly give me life. And as Nefesh Chaim says, uh, Kosh Baruch Hu creates the world constantly. He didn't create it once, and then there's Hashkach Pratis. It's constantly creating the world. And the mashal that you can give is, when you think of someone inside of your head, when you think of someone inside of your head, you're giving them existence. Give them a name, give them a background, give them a story, give them a face, give them a job. Now, Stop thinking about them. They disappear. They only exist because you're willing them into existence. You're thinking about them. Nefesh Chaim says that's the same way Kaj Baruch Hu constantly wills us into existence, constantly thinks about us, which means that you only exist right now because of Kaj Baruch Hu is thinking and willing you into existence. So what am I saying this for? Because the Pasuk says that MS me eretz titzmach. So eretz, this world is the world of becoming, of rat, of running towards our destination, of becoming, of creating, of growing. But MS comes from the it comes from that spreading, that growing, that process. Why? Because MS, it might exist in the spiritual realm as complete, but in this realm, it's something that has to go through the process of becoming. We have to create it. We have to put the pieces together. We have to create a holistic oneness of truth from all the different pieces of truth. And that's just the ultimate beautiful expression of this concept. And we can apply it not only to the concept of MS, but to ourselves. Because each of our neshamas, Rav Tzadik talks about this, he says, applies to our neshamas, so, Vitatek is saying something extremely powerful. You can look, up, you can look it up yourself. It's in Sefer Pri Tzadik, it's Maimar Kedusha Shabbos, Maimar Zion. He says that each one of our neshamas has a unique chilek as well. What does this mean? So this is something absolutely extraordinary. Adam HaRishon originally had one neshama, and when he failed in his mission, his neshama became shattered, so to speak, and every single one of us has a unique chilek of Adam HaRishon, a unique chilek of our purpose in life, our chilek in Torah. We daven for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we say in tefillah, we ask Hashem to give us our chilek in Torah. Because every single one of us has a unique perspective. And we're going to get back to this. This is what it means that Ma'antor, each of us gained our unique experience of Ma'antor. It's because while there's an objective, holistic oneness of truths, each of us has our unique chilek, our unique, so to speak, passion, approach, unique um, perspective, while still having to understand and appreciate all the other approaches as well. And, and that's going to get into something really interesting. But first I want to delve into the concept of Beis Hillel. We, we said that the Halach is like Beis Hillel. So the question is why? Why I like Beis Hillel? Why not like Beis Hamle? So the Gemara said that it's because of Beis, Beis Hillel's humility. And they would mention Beis Shammai's opinion before theirs, before their own opinion. So the simple understanding is that humility is a great thing. So Halach is like Beis Hillel. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, humility is great. It doesn't mean the Halach should be like you. We want the MS. So... This is a whole so we're not going to go into all the different approaches, but one approach based on what we're saying is that Beis Hillel, number one, was able to get closer to the absolute truth because they mentioned Beis Shammai's approach first. They integrated it into their own approach. So number one, like we said, uh, according to some of the approaches, which is that 
The wrong answers will help you get to the right answer. So this helped sharpen Beis Hillel's approach, meaning this helped, uh, they, get, they got through Beishamai's approach, questioned their own approach, and made it even better. But in a deeper sense, they included Beishamai's approach within their own. So it was more of a holistic truth, which contained more aspects of the multiplicity of the different fragments of Elu, Elu, Kim Chaim, and that's why the halacha is like Beis Hillel. But there's other aspects as well, and the Maral goes into this. He says that Beisham and Beisil together create more of a holistic Amos Tiferes. Why? Because Beisham and Beisilel together, it's like Chesedin and Tiferes. So Chesed, it represents more of an, an outflow. It represents um, the concept of, of, of unlimited expression. It's, it's infinite possibilities. It's infinite potential. Din represents limitation, boundaries, borders. So you can do anything today. That's Chesed. But you have to choose something to do, that's din. You could let your child do anything, that's chesed, but you have to have rules, restrictions, they have to have a structure, that's din. But the balance is teferis. And the Maral says that this was the idea of Beishamah and Beishilah. Beishilah was much more in the realm of chesed, of understanding human limitations, of being more mekel, more understanding, more rachanim. Uh, we're going to emphasize the concept of chesed, more in that realm of chesed. And Beishamah was much more idealistic. The, the expecting the greatest of everyone. And, and if you look at almost all the Machloksim throughout Shasa, Beishamah and Beishil, really have that dichotomy of Beishamah is much more Machmir, but because they're expecting so much more from us, and it's expecting the best of humanity. And Beishamah, while being ideal, is a little unrealistic, and Beishilal is much more understanding, but also more practical. Together, the Maharal says, they create that harmony of Teferis, that unique balance of oneness, which is very, very interesting, um, which you're going to have to, you can also argue that maybe Beishilal, the reason why we hold like them is because even though they are more of a Rachamim, the concept is that Rachma also means comes from that Lashon, that same mystical concept, that same Torah concept of of Esteferis, which is balance, harmony. That maybe Beis Hilla actually included aspects of Bishamai within their Shita, and they tried to maintain the idealism, but in a way that's achievable. And very often throughout Shas, you can argue that Beis Hilla is not being makel, is not being uh, more practical, but is trying to find a way to actually achieve the ideals that Bishamai is holding, which is why they would always mention Beishamai first, because that is the ideal, but now we have to figure out a way of attaining that ideal. But that's a whole topic. We can do a whole case study and look at many different Malchoksim throughout Shas between Beishamai and Beishilol. But this, this idea of Elu Elu Divil Kim Chaim, when it comes to Halach Lemais, it resides within the realm of Loba Shemaimi. Why? Because in Shemayim, everything is one, everything is clear. In Shemayim, everything is a destination. Shamim, there's a destination where we're going. But in this world, we have to create it. We have to put the pieces together. Loba Shemayim, the truth is no longer in Shemayim, of course this. But our truth is no longer in Shemayim. Our truth is here. We have to put the pieces together and recreate the MS in this world. And that's the beauty of Halacha, because Halacha isn't Eluvi Eludivilkim Chaim. You can't have multiplicity of truths for halacha, it can't be kosher and treif. You have to say what it is because you have to actually do something. You can't say I'm here and there. Within a paradoxical realm, within quantum mechanics, within the realm of lumdus, of course, everything can be true. But within halacha, every posik is going to have their approach to the sugya. And that's the difference when we say, like, so what's the answer? The answer is they're all true within the realm of Talmud Torah. But halacha lemaisa, every posik 
is going to pass in a certain way. Every gadol, uh, you know, the, the gadol hador, the, the poskim hador, are going to pass in a difficult trials, and they're going to say it's A. Years later, they can say it's B. But that's the kind of is that within the realm of, of lamdus, within the realm of, of Talmud Torah, within the realm of the sugya, you can live in the multiplicity of the, of the spectrum of the sugya. But in terms of what you're going to actually do, a posik has to say, I'm going to take away the infinite possibilities of the sugya, or let's say like the five possibilities, and I'm going to say, no, this is the one we're doing now. And that becomes halachic reality. That becomes, so to speak, that's the concept of the das Torah. That's, it becomes the truth right now. Not objectively in terms of all the others are wrong, but subjectively now, all the others are wrong halacha lamaisa. If that's your posik, if you are connected to that, that psak. And that's a powerful concept. And people, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. People who are real lamdanim, people who really reside within the realm of possibilities of understanding every approach, they're not the ones that are usually poskim. If Chaim, a brisk, is famous for having a posik, because he wouldn't pass his own shalas, because he under he he every possible say, way of saying a he'd be able to say what about b, and that's what he told his posik. You have to pass it for me, but you can't tell me why you pass in that way, because if if Rav Chaim heard why the person passed in that way, he'd say no, the upshlag him say what about this, what about that, what about this, what about that, so you, what about this logic, what about that problem, so many times the the poskim are not as much of a, a pure lamdan. And that's why they're able to have an Antiochus and Shem and say, I hold A. Is that the ideal? I would argue the ideal is for a post to be a real Am, to understand every single possibility, every single approach, and still have that Antiochus and Shem to say, I'm still holding A or B. But but that is rarer because that's not the the nature of a post A post by nature is someone who says, I really feel this is the truth. And Hashem created different types of people. Some people will really connect to the, the possibilities of the sugya. Some people will really the conceptual framework of the sugya. Some people will really attach themselves to really trying to understand you know, the approach that makes the most sense. I'm going to say that it's important to have both. It's important that even if you really, really feel that this is the truth, you understand the truth in the other perspectives, because otherwise you're not going to have respect for other Tamidi Chachamim, for other Poskim, for other approaches, for you know, what about the, you really believe in the Rambam? What about the Ramban? What about Tosos? What about the Ritz of Rashba? What about Tosos Rid? What about the Rivet? What about Hagos Mamon? You you're gonna like reject everyone else because you don't understand their approach yet, or you don't like their approach. That that's not the right way to approach Torah. So we need to have that balance. But what I want to do just to to end off is I want to say that there are also different levels and layers. So within this whole discussion of different approaches to Torah, we need to also understand the concept of different levels and layers of Torah depth, Torah thought. So there's this concept of pardes, right? Pshat, Remez, Drash, and Sod, which is that there are different levels of understanding everything in Torah. There's a Pshat level, there's a Remez level, there's a Drash level, there's a Sod level. So Pshat is the literal meaning, you look at a Pesach, it literally means what it says. And Remez and Drash, that's what the Gemara is really darshaning and, and trying to uncode and, and reveal layers of depth and intricacies and, and connections between the different Pesachim and trying to learn Halacha from the different connections and, and layers and meanings of the of the Pesach. Now it's literal meaning, but the levels of meaning. And Sod is the the foundational depth, the the spiritual underlying content, the machshava that lies beneath the surface. 
And that's the realm of Jewish thought, of machshava, of Kabbalah, of Jewish philosophy, of trying to understand the inner depth and meaning, that which is beyond words, so to speak. You know, so people think it's a secret, and that's not going to share it to you. The deeper meaning is the Maharal says, these ideas are beyond words. It's beyond, it's not that it can't be, it's not that I'm choosing not to speak to you, I'm choosing not to share these ideas with you. They can't really be spoken in words. They're transcendent ideas which need to be spoken about, but it requires a lifetime of connecting to and devoting yourself, your moch, your mind, to contemplating these ideas until you really understand them. And, and the, I will tell you, the oneness of truth is a sod idea. It's so hard to understand. You can spend so much time trying to understand it, but at the end of the day, our job is not to understand it because that's impossible. You're never going to arrive at the ultimate truth. Our job is to continuously grapple with it, continuously strive to understand more and more. The Ramban says that the Russia says, I'll never fully understand everything, so therefore I'm not going to try. The Tzaddik says, I'll never fully understand everything, but I'm going to continuously go and strive to understand more and more every single day. It's like you know, look at a mountain. The Russian says, I'll never get to the top. I'm not going to go. It's not because I'll never get to the top, but I get to take one step every day. I get to get a little closer every day. That's why I'm here. And that's a beautiful way of understanding the depth of Torah thought that we'll never arrive at the ultimate truth, but our job is to continuously strive to learn a little more. And there's a beautiful approach, which is that like, you don't want it to end. You want life, to, you want to just arrive at the end and everything's over. You always want to have more to grow. People want to arrive at the destination and they get so tired of the journey. But you want to learn to enjoy the journey because when you arrive at the destination, you just want a new destination to have a new journey. And that's a very deep approach, by the way, for Olam Haba. Many people hold that Olam Haba isn't the end, but it's just the next stage of the journey. And it's a journey which never ends because we'll never arrive at the ultimate end. We'll get to enjoy higher and higher levels of that journey of getting closer to Akash Baruch Hu and learning deeper and deeper layers of truth. So... And that's one beautiful idea. Another idea is that there are different ways of learning Gemara. And we're not going to get into different, you know, Derech Halimut ideas, but one of the most famous uh, ideas in the, in, the, in the Masorah of Rashi and Tosos is that they had two fundamentally different approaches to learning Gemara. Rashi was much more on the daf. He wanted to really understand how this Gemara makes the most sense. So his, uh, you know, what Rashi is giving you in, in Gemara is opening up the most simple understanding of this specific Amud in Shas. What about all the other Amudim and Shas? What about all the other times in Shas this opens up? This, this sugi appears? Rashi is not going to help you with that right now. He's really focused on what makes the most sense here. Let's say there's five different approaches. Well, let's make it more simple. Let's say there's three main approaches to a sugya. Rashi will give you one that makes the most sense on this daf. Tosfos, he's interested in how to connect all of Shas together. He wants to make sure that all of the intricacies of, of all of Shas are interconnected. So he's less interested on in the literal meaning of the words on this Amud, he's much more interested in making sure that conceptually all of Shas works together. Which is why I can show you many examples where Rashi will give three different approaches in three different cases in Shas. Each of the approaches are the one that makes the most sense on that Amud. So what does Rashi hold? And Rashi doesn't have like his single approach. He's just trying to help you understand this Amud. Tosos is trying to get a single approach to make all of Shas work and make the most sense, which is very, very different um, in terms of how you learn Shas. Do you learn Shas as an interconnected sugya, or do you learn Shas as, I'm just trying to get real good shot on this Amud, on the Amud that I'm learning right now. Okay, what about that Amud and Yavamos and this Sugya and Kedushin and this thing and Brachas? Okay, don't bring that up right now. That's not what I'm focusing on. Focusing on this versus Tosos, who's not, I want to make sure all of Shas interconnects. And I mean, there's there's a lot of really 
you know, great ideas when it relates to that. But I would say another really important idea is to understand that there's this concept of a Natilis Neshama when it comes to learning. So, you know, each Tanik, each Amora will fight for a certain side of the Machlokas. Why? Because they really believe in that side of the Machlokas. And it's obviously based on an idea that we've discussed many times, which is that the Gemara needed the Flamin of Abbas says that when we were each in the womb, we learned Karl Tarakula. And the Vilna Gun says it's not just Karl Tarakula, it's that you learned your unique mission in life, your unique Torah. And when an Amora, when a Tana, when someone in the Gemara is giving their approach to Sugi, it's because that was their approach to Sugi. That's what they, they really believed. And the same thing for a mission in Avos, the Pirkei Avos, Hu Hayo Omer. Very often the Mepharshim say that they didn't actually say that, but they lived by it. That was their Natiyah Sushama, that was their Mida, that was their Koach. And the most explicit example of this is uh, the mission of us says that Shmuel HaKatan said that you shouldn't rejoice in the pain of your enemies. And I can guarantee you he didn't say that. <laughs> because it's a Pasuk and Tehillim, he didn't make that up. That wasn't Hu Hayo Omer. It was, this is what he spoke by his life, by his actions, by what he embodied. And the idea is that you know, when, when you learn Torah, you want to really start to, to, to focus in on what's, who are you, what are you passionate about, what, what, what's your chilek in Torah. And you need to appreciate all the perspectives on every second shas, but it doesn't mean you can also say, like, I really relate to this one. So you want to really balance that subjectivity, that individuality with the, the spectrum of truth and the objective nature of that truth. And, and there's, a, there's an incredible story, incredible story, you won't believe this story, of, of a man who forged a Masechta Yushami. He forged a Masechta. He basically claimed he found it in a Geniza. You know, he found it buried. And most Godolim accepted it. And this guy was a true Jewish criminal. He, he literally was a genius. Clearly a tremendous Tamachacham. And he mostly took from existing Brises from other Masechtas. And he, he made the rest up. And people thought it was real. People were genuine. And they brought it to the Raghachavar. And the Raghachavar looked at it for a second and said, it's a forgery. It's fake. And the guy admitted. The guy said, you're right. Uh, and the Raghachavar basically said, you're, you're, you're a liar, you're a chakran. It's a forgery. And the guy admitted. Even though a bunch of other Godolim accepted it, he admitted it. They went to the Raghachavar and said, how do you know? How did you know this was a forgery? doesn't make any sense. Aha! <laughs> You've never seen this before. How do you know it's a All these other don't thought it was real. And the Rogue Trevor said, I looked at it, and Rav Meir would never say such a thing. Rav Meir would never say such a thing. What does that mean? It means that the Rogue Trevor was so in touch with how Rav Meir thinks, in terms of his limo throughout Shas, how Rav Meir holds on circus throughout Shas, that when this guy made up a sheet of Rav Meir, the Rogue Trevor said, there's no way Rav Meir would say that. This whole thing's a forgery. Now, you know, that's an extreme example. But the idea is that there is a power and a koach to having a way of thinking. And obviously you want to make sure that you're as in touch with all ways of thinking as possible, because but there is room for subjectivity. There is room for having opinions, for saying that I respect all approaches, I understand all approaches, but I also truly believe A, truly believe B. And this is the deeper meaning of Ma'an Torah, where it says that all of Klai Yisrael received their own chilek in Torah. We're not all the same. We don't have the same opinions. We don't have the same views. We don't have the same passions. And, and we don't have the same missions in life. But we do have to recognize and respect others. And the problem is when we have our opinions and we say everything else is wrong. Or we have our approach and we say everything else is wrong. No, not everything else is wrong. But 
yours can also be part of the picture. And, and that's the beauty, is to recognize that, yes, when you were in the room, you learned your unique Torah, and you're in this world to find your unique purpose, your unique chilek in Torah. But it doesn't make everyone else's chilek wrong, and it doesn't minimize your chilek or their chilek. We're all parts of a bigger picture. And some people's chilek in Torah is to really, really see the truth in all perspectives. You know, I, I, I'll... I'll tell you personally that you know part of my love is to see the truth in every perspective. When I'm learning a sugin shas, I love every. I love to think every possible way to understand it. See the truth in every single region, every single achron, every single nuanced perspective and approach. And that's not something that everyone agrees with. So I respect that. But I will say the most important thing is to focus on the balance between really striving for your uniqueness, your unique perspective of Torah, of life, of everything, but also really learning to both understand the spectrum and respect the spectrum, respect other people's views, respect other people's perspectives. And yes, not everything is true. So if something is mamish, mamish, sheker, it's not that so everything is true. No, there is a spectrum. Something can fall outside that spectrum. But, you know, I will say that once we're qualifying, it's important to say even Sheker is still part of the truth because it brings out the truth. Meaning once you know what's not true, it strengthens what is true. So there is importance of even having untrue views in life. You shouldn't live by those views, but within the realm of Machshava, Kashmir created Sheker and created evil that bring out truth, that bring out good. So it's important to really admire and respect every aspect of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation, even those things that you're supposed to dafka not respect. Respect the fact that you're not supposed to respect it because that brings out proper values and proper views. So my bracha to you is that each of us should really find our chilek in Torah, that this Shavuos week should really tap into Ma'an Torah, tap into not only receiving the Klali objective Torah for all of clients, but also refocusing on our mission of finding our own unique purpose in life.